<laughs> I'm on. <laughs> now I'm going to show you a little bit about how the sausage is made here. Um, for any of you who've seen uh, Naked Gun, do you know the Frank Drebin going to the facilities at Dodger Stadium scene? This is why I always disconnect this. Sometimes I forget to reconnect it. Enough said. Thank you. Take two. New Year's brings to mind New Year's resolutions. On January 1st, 1999, I made a New Year's resolution to quit drinking. On January 1st, 2005, I made a New Year's resolution to quit drinking. Non-New Year's resolutions to quit drinking include September 1988, September 1994, July 2003, and also later that year in fall of 2003 after the last out of the World Series when the Yankees lost in six games to the Florida Marlins. A whole bunch of other resolutions to quit drinking as well. I was really good at quitting drinking. I was even better at starting back up. Most New Year's resolutions, we know, not judging yours individually if you have them, good luck, Godspeed. Most New Year's resolutions will not be kept. For a variety of reasons, we don't have the social support structure in place, we don't have help from other people, our goals are unrealistic. We buy into the hype of new year, new you, and we think that change will come from the outside. And so we get those new running sneakers that are just perfect for us. And we get the yoga mat that whispers, if you buy me, you will practice every single day this year and you will see the vase of Vishnu. <laughs> or God of your choosing. It's the Universalist congregation here, folks. We forget at times that the deepest transformation is the kind of transformation they talk about in our core beliefs. The caterpillar who has within itself the possibility of growing into the butterfly. And when we think that change comes from the outside in, we forget what our great teacher Thoreau said, beware of any new venture that requires you to buy a new wardrobe. <laughs> change is not a matter of the outside in. And I think that there's one other reason that our New Year's resolutions sometimes do not last until President's Day. The reason for this series. It's that in the name of change, of changing ourselves, we avoid pain, difficulty, loss, and struggle. And we end up perpetuating exactly these things in our lives and not truly changing. This series is not about getting away. This series that Lee and I are going to do is about getting in touch. Getting in touch with perhaps some things that have dogged some of us for years, if not decades. Some things within us and around us and between us that cry out for healing. The kind of healing that Hemingway wrote about when he said, life breaks us all inevitably. And some of us are stronger 
at the broken places. This is about healing. It's about what one of the most well-known and still actually one of the most well-regarded pieces of self-help. The book that for years was popular right around this time of the year, justifiably so, M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled, opens up with these words, and I'm paraphrasing. Life is difficult. This is an unalterable truth. Life is difficult. And it is only for those people who accept that life is difficult that life will ever stop being difficult. This is an understanding of reality. I like it, that word understanding is described to me many years ago by someone with very little formal education. They said, understanding is about learning to stand under. Standing under difficulty, loss, brokenness, the things within us, around us, between us that cry out for healing. So by the way, I just want to finish that opening story. Um, Most of you know this. A good number of you know this. I did get sober. September 19th, 2005. And I've not had a drink since. The difference this time is that I didn't want to change. I wanted to heal. And that has made all the difference. If we want change, the kind of change that, again... We might have set our hearts upon for years and we wonder, maybe this will be the year. Maybe this will be the time in which the healing will arrive. If you want that kind of change, I want to encourage you to think of it this way. Give up the quest for change. Don't try to change. Instead, seek to heal. Seek wholeness. Seek to be in touch with whoever you are and however you are even if you don't like yourself very much. I know what that is like. I also know, fortunately, what this is like. The paradox that the great psychologist Carl Rogers talked about. He wrote, The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. When I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. How often we flip that In our lives. It is only when we believe we have earned our way into acceptability by changing enough, by being good enough little boys and girls, that then we'll be acceptable. That then we'll be beloved. Then we'll be all right. But it's one of the truths that was spoken about in one of the most powerful and popular movies from last year, The Fault in Our Stars, from the teenage girl with the incurable cancer who said simply this. Pain demands to be felt. It's here. There is no healing from any trauma, whatever level of trauma we may have suffered in this life. There is no healing from trauma without the feeling of what's going on. Now it must be done safely. It must be done with trust. And it cannot be forced. And it is not on anyone else's timeline other than our own, based on anyone else's willingness other than our own But healing cannot happen without acknowledging the hurt and the pain. I think so often in our culture we get really unhealthy, and not just unhealthy, but unhelpful messages about what healing looks like. So often we might think it's told to us like this. 
On one end of the continuum is healing. On the other end is hurting. We are healed when we don't hurt anymore. I don't accept that at all. There's a whole bunch of really uh, unskillful, unhelpful ways that you can stop hurting. (laughs) I know plenty of them. I'm not going to recommend them. There's all kinds of ways that we can anesthetize ourselves, addict ourselves, put ourselves to sleep. This is not an appropriate picture of what healing looks like. I think this is better. That this is closer to what healing is really all about. That it's along a continuum between healing and harming. And by the way, when I say harming, I'm not just talking about other people. I'm also talking about no longer harming ourselves. The people who I know, who I trust as the deepest healers, the hurt doesn't really go away. It's just that the hurt is connected with other powerful experiences. Compassion, loving kindness, openness, acceptance. Healing doesn't mean we stop hurting. It means that habitually we stop harming. There's a great Buddhist story about this, about holding great hurt and great love simultaneously. It's a story about an itinerant preacher wandering throughout the countryside hundreds, maybe even thousands of years ago, who has accumulated a following, some disciples, and they go from town to town hearing the teacher talk about moving beyond, beyond attachment, as they often speak about it within Buddhism, beyond attachment, beyond suffering, into the unconditioned. And in this particular story that is being told, they come upon a a hut in this small village in which they hear the, the, the worst sounds of grief, the worst weeping and wailing that pain the heart. And they enter the hut and they see that, in fact, it is the worst grief that there is. The, this is a hut that has been visited, a home that has been visited by the death of a child. And that teacher who talked about being beyond, beyond attachment, sits down in the midst of that great weeping and grief And just starts bawling. The skies from their eyes open up. With everyone else. An hour passes. The disciples don't say anything. Although they're shocked. They wait to get back out on the open road. And they ask the teacher. We thought you were beyond. All of this. He said it is because. I am beyond attachment. That I can sit with a grief and pain that is not my own and weep and feel the sadness. Our hearts can simultaneously hold great hurt and great love. Healing is not beyond hurt. It just makes the choice for compassion. That's what this series is about. That's why it has the name Original Blessing. Some of you are familiar with that phrase. It's a phrase that is a wonderful kind of theological corrective within our Western tradition, especially too often as progressive Christian thinkers and theologians have said that original sin is what so many of us are taught, that we are irreparably broken, that we cannot help but harm. 
original blessing emerges from many of these theologians saying, no, when they read the scriptures, that in fact what they find is a basic irreparable goodness in our lives. My experience of original blessing goes like this. Although our human heart is made to be loved, is made to be beloved and to love, because love stands at the center of who we are, our hearts are therefore also made to be broken. But because our hearts made to be broken does not mean that they are defective or we are defective. To quote from the great but very wrong uh, Delaware theologian George Thorogood, you know where I'm going. We are not bad to the bone. And anyone who wants to sing about being bad to the bone is missing the point. The fact that our hearts will break. James Ford, a Unitarian Universalist minister and Zen priest, has a wonderful book. I recommend it highly called, If You're Lucky, Your Heart Will Break. That's some paradoxical Zen wisdom right there. And it's absolutely true. And it is a sign of our original blessing, our original goodness. I have a friend right now at this time in his life where he's going through a tremendous amount of loss. Professional loss, which is also personal loss. And this can happen to almost any of us, almost all of us. And it's a story I've heard particularly told from men particularly men who derive a significant part of their self-esteem and self-worth and sense of being in the world from the work that they do. My friend is getting his ego battered, for lack of a better phrase. And he and I share a similar um, contemplative and Buddhist mindset and practice. And so he asked me, in the midst of great distress, not even, I think, looking for an answer. How is there any original goodness here? How is there any original goodness within me? See, I think what my friend was caught up in, which so many of us, I know I get caught up in it all the time, and cause harm because of it. We get caught up in goodness as evaluation, as self-improvement, as just another test another gold star that we think we're going to get if we clear all the hurdles and then somehow we'll be the good little boys and girls that we always should have been in the first place. I didn't have an answer for my friend. I only had another question. What if it is original goodness that simply allows you to be in touch with everything that you're feeling that has nothing at all to do with passing a test? It just has to do with being awake and aware of this pain. The opposite of healing is not hurting. Healing is not another test or self-improvement scheme. Original goodness, original blessing is the grace to be who we are, how we are, as we are, however we are. Thomas Merton, the great mystical monk, put it this way. Punishment can never cure us of the experience of feeling unworthy. Too many New Year's resolutions are actually New Year's aggressions towards ourselves. Not all of them. I like challenges. 
I love challenges. I've run three half marathons on completely cruddy shot knees. I've climbed mountains. I've sat for eight days in silence with only my own company to keep. And boy, am I nuts. (laughs) But hopefully I know that better now than I used to. But any New Year's resolution or promise that we make to ourselves that's based on aggression towards who we are is going to end up just reinscribing the pain. It's just going to end up making us feel worse. There's no healing in self-aggression. There's only more hurt and more harm. Getting a beautiful example right now, a teacher in my life right now. Some of you have seen this teacher, or these teachers, I should say. Our new bunnies. Pete, the one who looks like a panda, who is just an absolute delight. And for those of you who remember Doo-Wop Rabbit, is, I, I'm, I'm sure, a living reincarnation of Doo-Wop spirit. Every time that she is fed is the most exciting thing in the world. I even call her she. Pete's a he, but it's doo to me. So. The, the other one, Sheldon. Yes, I know. Sheldon Belden. <laughs> eh, but we haven't decided. Sheldon Nazario Belden? Sheldon Nazario? We're not sure whose name Sheldon's going to take. So aside from questions about matrilineal or patrilineal bunny naming, here's the thing about Sheldon. He's a big, cuddly bunny who expresses regularly cage aggression. He took a chunk out of Teresa's finger the other day. Two shelters ago, he was scheduled to be put down. He was scheduled to be euthanized because of his cage aggression until another shelter, a non-kill shelter, Love and Buns, adopt, don't shot please, editorial over, interceded and gave him some safety and some space until he could find a family that wanted him. We try to minimize what we do. No sudden movements inside the cage. We try to minimize our fact of being harmed by Sheldon. But Sheldon is not bad to the bone. Sheldon was most likely abused. He was most likely neglected. Sheldon's like a lot of us. Not bad to the bone. Just brokenhearted. Just in need of healing. And only trust, patience, and kindness will provide the conditions in which any real lasting change will happen. Sheldon is my teacher in this way. He may not realize it, but hopefully I do. That for so many of us, it's not the crime, it's the covering up. It's not the wound, it's the war we create on ourselves and on others and on life itself when we won't face the wound. Really getting in touch with our own pain and struggles and loss means getting past the well-traveled path of those defense mechanisms, the wars we create on life or on ourselves. Sometimes what I hear from people is that it's not just that it's fearful, although it is to engage in this process of healing, but they wonder if it's selfish. You know, that all this time spent on their own lives, you know, to just separate them from other people and maybe they don't, really don't deserve it and we're all really busy. 
But what I found over and over and over again in this life, and certainly my ministry, is that those people who engage in healing in a deep way, it's not selfish at all. It ends up connecting us more deeply with other people. That it's actually our defense mechanisms that end up separating us from each other. There is nothing selfish at all in deep healing of our broken hearts. I trust these words from this beloved teacher, she of blessed memory, Maya Angelou, who we lost this past year. Each of us have lived through some devastation, some loneliness, some weather superstorm or spiritual superstorm. When we look at each other, we must say, I understand. I understand how you feel because I have been there myself. We must support each other because each of us is more alike than we are unalike. In truly participating in our healing, we are also revealing the wholeness, the connection, the great compassion that our hearts already have the potential and the promise to realize. In this message series, Lee and I are going to talk about personal wounds and societal wounds. We're going to talk about race and racism and the patterns in our families or in our own hearts that might just perpetuate themselves time after time after time. And we wonder why it never changes. Hopefully this message series will give us some space, all of us, to get beyond putting up that armoring, to get beyond putting up the defenses. And so that's just the first vow and intention here is that maybe today we might just take a closer look at what those defenses are for us that keep us from seeing our hearts, the hearts of the people we love, and the hearts of all people with deeper truth and deeper kindness. And with that, I'd like to offer you a practice. A saltine cracker. In the tradition in which I grew up, during the time of the high holy days, there is a practice in Judaism called tashlich. Tashlich. That actually translates into casting our bread out upon the waters. It is an opportunity to both simultaneously look back, examine where we are, and gaze forward. During the final song, I'm going to offer each of you a piece of bread, a cracker, if you will. You can do with it what you want. If you're hungry, please eat. Although I'll offer you a replacement cracker there too. Don't eat that second one, please. You can disregard this. You can flush it down the toilet. That's water too, I guess. But really what I'd ask you to do with this is cast your bread upon the waters as a way of affirming your connection, your compassion, and our capacity for healing. I'm going to ask you to not just cast your bread upon the waters and what you want to let go of and move beyond, but this. Cast your bread out upon the waters in the name of what you discern and understand is keeping you from the healing that you seek. Maybe even do it before you leave here today. There's a nice little stream down there. Or maybe sit with it for a bunch of days. And if you can't discern or comprehend what it is that is keeping you from healing, what is standing in your way, 
Maybe you want to release the fact that you don't understand that anything is standing in your way. May we all, in this new year, know that we are companions. May we all take the first step in the direction of that deeper compassion that unites all of our lives. May this day, and then the next day, and the day after that, and this year, be one of healing for you and for all of us. Amen. May you live in blessing. Happy New Year. Let's pray together. God of original blessing, of the light that shines and does not go out, of the great compassion and the great connection that is ours both as birthright and as destination. Today, may we see clearly the full contents of our hearts. May we pour out our hearts through the washing of our eyes as tears, if that is what is called for. May we open our hearts through the joy of laughter. May we see clearly now and walk forward in the wisdom and the loving kindness that is who we are. Amen.